We made it. What do we make it to? Another year? Uh, we made it to a recording in January. That's true. Barely. Well, Barely. we have some more days. Yeah. And we have a bug in our audio system somewhere, apparently. I thought I heard it a little bit there. Just now? Just now, yeah. yeah I don't know what it is then. It's almost like uh, like rubbing against your stubble or something, maybe. No, that doesn't I know. sound right. That's, that is kind of what it sounds like. That kind of static. Yeah. But that's not what it is, though. But No, no. Well, John. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's not a happy new year. It's not a, that's a problem. <laughs> you, we can say happy new year, but we know it's that's not. just not the case. No. Um, not that this is uh, my first drink of the day, but I think we have to do this for yeah. everyone. Yeah. The cork is back. <sighs> yeah. So cork is back. Man. Um, it's been rough, man. It has been. I think this is, I'll say, if this if this has not been a rough time for you, then catch yourself lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, certainly don't compare myself to all the people who you know, are without a job at this point. Yeah, tech industry in general just took a huge mm. hit, and it's continuing to. We've got more layoffs at Salesforce, and we've got Microsoft on the horizon as well. Of course, Google, uh, their whole today, cloud division. Right? Yeah. No, today was it started hitting ma- mass layoffs. I started yeah. seeing it all over Twitter. Um, but yeah, they're saying mass mass layoffs at Google now. I am right in saying it's their cl- yeah, it's their cloud. It's their cloud that's taking the big hit. Yeah, it's sales execs in the cloud. I think is what the headline was. I'm seeing tons of engineers on Twitter all laid off. And they always managers. paint it as these these. Oh, we're just laying off these non essentials. We're laying off the. You know, the, the overhires, but we've, well, that's, as we've seen, and we've seen reports okay. of who actually got laid off, we're seeing it's not just non-essential. No, I mean, and, you know, I, you know, you see this thing, yeah, it's like, oh, we overhired, and that's what everyone's saying, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. saying that. Um, we overhired, and so, you know, we've got to cut some. When, and so, who are they cutting? Like, I don't know, um, just an absolute killer uh, engineer or product manager that's been there for 10 years. Yeah. That everyone knows is like is a, a linchpin, yeah. And it's like, were, were they? Did they just draw names out of the hat? Like, yeah. And I'm sorry for using the words non-essentials. I'm not saying anyone's job was non-essential. I'm just saying that that's how they're painting it in these reports, in these media, or in these companies, in their PRs, or they're painting it like, oh, these just these were just fluff. These yeah. were just the leftovers. These are the, you know, you know, cutting the dessert off the dinner table type yeah, thing. And that's know? yeah. Well, I mean, this is, you know, I, again, we, you and I are old enough to, we've seen this cycle, you know, mm-hmm. two or three times in our life. Um, every, every time it happens, it's, it, every time it happens, it seems like, you know, you look at these businesses and these leaders. I'm still hearing weird noises, but. I'll just roll with it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, these, these business leaders, and it's just like, you, yeah, I mean, you just. You massively, you did, you weren't running your business well. I'm I'm struggling for words because I, I. Well, I think we've known that. I think we've we've looked at these companies. But who pays the price? The what, employees, yeah, do. because it's yeah. you know unlike well, the, no, a, hold on, un, unlike the a, shareholders and the employees, pay uh, the unlike price. a bank loan, which you actually still have to pay back even if things don't go well. You can just cut the people, cut the people. The stakeholders pay the price. You're right. It is the stakeholders that pay the price. Mm-hmm. 
maybe maybe that's what made you a stakeholder. Was it was your ass on the line and you just didn't realize it? Well, yeah. I mean, I've I've been in situations where I've I've been offered to hire on a company and they try to get me to take a fair good amount of my compensation in stock, and I've always kind of declined that because yeah. it's just that, that speaks volumes to me about the company's financials. In, in a lot of ways. Well, in, in a way, you know, I'm, it, I guess it depends on if that was ground floor startup, then yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm putting my skin in the game and we're doing this together. But if the company's been around and they're still hiring by, by stock, then yeah. th- that's a bit of a red flag. Or if you're clearly uh, pre IPO, or if, you know, if you, you know, if you're going to work for a big public company who, um, you know, they're, they're doing the stock based compensation game. And, you know, the upside is, is, um, you know, you get, you get a, you get a good salary, but on top of that, you, they're giving, now it has to vest, but you usually get like RSUs or something. But I mean, that stock can end up being worth quite a bit. It's, it's a, it's a big component of compensation yeah, to public companies. Maybe, maybe if this is financially, uh, independent, then yeah, I'd go for that route. But honestly, I can't, I can't put dinner on the table with a stock. No, no. no. And it's, uh, it's not that big of a component. I, that's why I said, that's yeah. why I was clear that it's. A good salary, you get a good mm-hmm. salary. But yeah. on top you get your of that, salary, and then that's yeah. stakes. So, yeah. I mean, that's you know, that's been a big deal. I mean, a lot of a lot of people have had life changing money happen because uh, they got stock in their company. Sure, but I'm I'm a very conservative person. I'm, I, am I don't too. gamble yeah. like that. Yeah, I don't either. You know, I don't get into crypto or anything like that. I'm not trying to get rich quick. Yeah. I don't play the lottery. Although my wife buys a ticket every so often, but how can you not when it's like one point something billion? I never do. <laughs> I've ne- I don't. I've never bought a lottery ticket in my entire life. I did when I turned 18. Did you? I think I bought three. Lost <laughs> Lost my, I think they were like $5 tickets or, or um, lottery tickets. Uh, lost them all and said, yep, yeah, I don't need to do this again. Yeah. That was that was fun. Yeah. I'm done. But, um, yeah. Boy. Well, this situation, it, I mean, yeah, it sucks that it happened. But I think what's worse is the tone deafness, tone deafness of it. Uh, and I think probably one of the worst ones was Kramer. Um, you have a clip? I don't have a clip because okay. it was a tweet. Mm-hmm. And his tweet says, if Mark can do it, your other CEOs can do it. In other words, he's referring to the fact that, you know, he's, if, um, if Salesforce mm-hmm. can be bold enough to lay off employees to for financial stability, then then your other CEOs can do it. Yeah, yeah. It's just a very tone deaf comment. I mean, no one wants to hear that during that period of time. Now, I do agree that companies do at times do need to lay off in order to survive and, and to make it through whatever financial troubles they're making it through. But it's not something you champion. It's not something you tout as a virtue um, because obviously that's what something it, that's went what I, wrong. That's a good word for it. It was, it was, it was almost like, oh, that's a, that's a virtue. Yeah. Oh, he did the, did the right. good, good thing there. Yeah, it's not something to tout as a virtue. It, at some point, a mistake was made. Um. I mean, obviously, there's other factors, but in my perspective, a mistake was made in the hiring process and how you hired and, and the number of employees you have and your lack of financial responsibility towards those employees. Something happened that forced that layoff. Now, there's other scenarios that are out of control, like, you know, downturn in the market or loss of demand for a certain product or whatever. But generally speaking, in the tech industry, they just went balls to the wall hiring people. Yeah. For for virtue signaling reasons in my perspective yeah um but even saying that that's not the people that they let go they didn't let go the people that they overhired or they hired for 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 not financial reasons 
you know, they, they let go some, some very critical people in my opinion. And that's what's, that's, that's also what's disappointing is the fact that they tried to paint this as a, you know, as a non-impactful thing when it really is. Yeah. You know, people who've invested a fair amount of their time of their lives into the, into building this company only to be let go. Yeah. I mean, Oh yeah. And we got the sense, I, I read an article that talked about the, the way they worded what I think what all these companies have done really through the pandemic was they were hoarding people. And I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure what the reasoning behind that was. Was it that they, I think people were afraid. I think companies were afraid they wouldn't be able to hire people maybe. So they kind of went on hiring benches all throughout the pandemic, which is a little counterintuitive. I mean, Tech industry saw the biggest bump out of anything. Any platform that was web-based saw the biggest bump. I mean, to me, that's that's wrong. And even during the pandemic, I don't remember seeing a surge in hiring. It was kind of status quo as it was. Stay at home. We'll keep things going. We'll run it as best we can. No, John, these, these companies were surging hiring. And the year after the, the major lockdowns. Maybe the year so. after the first yeah. year lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, at that point... Even at that point, even some of these companies that saw a spike had to see their the numbers starting to come down as people were starting to go back. So that's why I don't – I mean, even Zoom saw a drop in their stock price pretty pretty much after that first year where everyone was locked down for an entire year. Even they started to see a downturn in their stock, and that was a signal that well, that, that, that bump was short-term. Yeah, I mean, downturn in stock is not the same thing as downturn in your business or your revenue. They're kind of different uh, it things. Kinda, it goes I mean, hand-in-hand because the analysts were watching it. <laughs> analysts were trying to see what the demand was going to be, and to me, that was a signal that demand was waning, and that's why the analysts yeah, bumped it down. A little bit. I I feel like so much of, of stock prices are very irrational, though, so I don't – I mean, they are, but I mean, the way the analysts treat treat the demand cycles, I mean, they're yeah. they're all about growth. And so when that growth isn't there, they they bring the stock down. So to me, Zoom's Zoom peaked, and that was that was the, it's yeah. going to start going down. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think you know they, I think people were too optimistic about, um, <laughs> about the effects that all of the the trillions and trillions of dollars that we printed and gave away and did who knows what with. Um, they were too optimistic about what that was you know, the, how that was going to affect the economy um, and, and what, you know, the, I guess the outcome of all of this would be. And so yeah. they, they really hired a lot, um, kind of kind of stock, literally stockpiling humans. Um, and it turns out at this point, you know, I guess from my it, perspective, and, and this is why I don't buy into that argument um, is that what were they hiring for support? Because the technology exists on its own. I mean, maybe some more engineers at the data center, but that can't be that many people to try to try to scale up yeah. operations. Who know. were they hiring that they were doing this surge? Salesforce has existed always as an online platform, and it's always scaled. So who were they hiring for? What were they hiring for? Were execs, compl- execs complaining they had too many customers trying to sign up? or Or were they happy about that? commission bag that they were getting because they had so many customers. I mean, I, I just, I don't know who they say they're, they hired that was over, that was too much. Where? Where did Google hire too much? Where did Microsoft hire too much? Where did Salesforce hire too much? Yeah. Amazon. Where did they hire too much? Amazon maybe has a different excuse. I'll give Amazon a pass. But everyone else that's primarily software driven, where did they hire too much? 
It's an open question. Yeah, I mean, maybe mean, like, rhetorical. Geographically or what? I, I just mean, you know, they, they say that they hired too much. They say that they, they overhired. They say that they're not getting rid of essential people. They're saying that things are financially stable. They're just trying to get rid of the, you know, the, the trim the fat, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. But where did they, where did they make that mistake? Where did they hire too many people? Where did Google Cloud as a platform hire too many people? Maybe, probably just everywhere. And where did Salesforce hire too many people? You know? Yeah. It's not like their operations required more people in order to continue running. At at most, they would have had to hire maybe sales, maybe support. Is is that where they got rid of everybody? Yeah, I don't know. It, don't seems, know. it seems to be across the board at the, all these companies. But I guess my only my only line of questioning here is that I just I just don't buy the the PR spin on it. No, I mean it's always going to be. I was going to try to say the right things. I take responsibility. <laughs> I take responsibility. Right. None of them taking responsibility. I guess what Sundar Pichai said today, Google. Oh, did he? Yep. Because Benioff didn't. And I'm sure the, what's his no, name? Benioff, Benioff had doesn't. a similar, similar phrasing of things. No, Benioff's phrasing, according to this headline, was uh, uh, possibly younger remote workers are not as productive in, le- in a leaked in all hands meeting. Well, that was before the last, but yeah. No, that was January 9th when that was reported, but... Mm. I don't know. It's a tough anyway, subject to talk I about. I feel for everyone. Um, it's uh, It's been very tough. Well, chat GPT, John. That's that's the other thing that's I'm been in all the news. If, Are you? If you're going to talk about Have you used it? I, yeah. I didn't even create an account. Yeah. I've just been enjoying seeing other people's stuff. Yeah. It's funny to me how I feel like all of the other, com- all these companies, the big tech companies that have been touting their AI for years and years and years and have made done major AI acquisitions. Like I feel like mm-hmm. they're all completely caught flat footed by this. Well, they did it for the headline. They did it for the, well, so cause the Chad, buzzword Chad GPT, if you, you know, it, it, at a surface, I mean, and it, don't get me wrong. Like I have to preface this with it. It, it is impressive um, that this thing can scour the internet and put together a word salad that sounds smart. Mm-hmm. That, that, that is impressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and based on, based on like open freeform queries to it, it could yeah. put together word salad that sounds, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. And in some cases it, it might be, <laughs> right. but there's all kinds of issues. First of all, it has, it's not intelligence. It's just combining words that sound right. Um, or even, you know, I think I know what uh, a typical SQL statement looks like stuff like that. You know, um, it can do some basic stuff. Yeah. Um, that's pretty impressive, but all it takes is this to make all of the other big tech companies look like they're, they ever caught flat footed. Like all of a sudden, like chat GPT looks like a better way to search the web than, than Google does. Like, I mean, when did Google buy deep mind? How long ago was that? I mean, what, what are they doing? What's going on? Yeah. How is it? This thing has caught everyone's attention where, where nothing has before. Because and now all of a sudden, Microsoft wants to invest ten billion dollars in it. it. It's also the whole story about you know, Open Open AI is a is a is a nonprofit that they're going to convert to for profit now. And it's like, how does that work? And yeah. it's it's very weird. I don't know. There's, I mean, that to me, that's the death of the product is when they try to go for profit. But I mean, I think though, it had some novelty. It had some novelty to it that, that allowed more people to to do stuff with it, thus to to feed the algorithm. I think some of my concerns in general are that, you know, 
what's being fed to it is eventually will become a closed loop because it's constantly going to start feeding itself and so at some point if it becomes the de facto crawler of the web of the web yeah you know it might find more of its own result and start start kind of just ingesting itself at that it'll, point it'll be interesting to see just legally what happens with because you know this thing is basically just taking everyone else's work and mashing it up and yeah you know and it doesn't it currently doesn't seem to have any kind of attribution or is i don't know if it's looking at what it has license or permission to use yeah uh, but i mean I've, I've seen some examples people have done where you know, you take a pretty narrow topic and ask it a question about it, and you can find exactly the website where it, it pulled that from. It just yeah. ma- remashes the words up a little bit. It does, but it's it's a little bit better than than a keyword search. It's a little bit better than you know. You can be a little bit more conversational about it. It is, know. but like whereas Google's like, oh yeah, we found that, and I'm going to point you to the website. I'm not going to like bring the content in and like whatever. I'm going to I'm going to just I'm going to link you over to where that content is. Whereas this thing sucks all the content in, kind of mashes it up and makes new content. Says, "Oh, here you go." It mm-hmm. doesn't. It doesn't link you to the other thing, or it doesn't tell you where it got the information that it's using. And yeah. it'll just it'll be interesting to see how this works out legally. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be lawsuits. It's got to go through the court so we can find out what's going on here. It's transformative. It's transformative, which is allowed. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's one of the biggest, it's always one of the biggest commercial barriers to adopting these things is, is, is just the legal aspects of it. Yeah. And until we get some court rulings, you know, it's just going to be hard to, a lot, for a lot of companies to, to do anything with it. Yeah. Even, um, this, you know, GitHub Copilot, I mean, it's, that's difficult for companies to, to use as well. Because it's not clear whose IP it's presenting to you. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> and what the licenses were for that. Um, yeah. So. Well, DevOps is dead. No, we've talked about this. So it's platform engineering now. That's the new thing in 20, 2023. Really, 2022, I guess, but. Platform engineering, huh? I think, it, and I think people get burned out by the terms being co-opted. That's, and like, well, crap! If you're going to just steal our term and do all the stuff with it, then we'll just create we'll create a new a new uh, we'll, we're going to make a new club, and mm-hmm. you're not invited to this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they will eventually. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've said this before. We we had smart apps, and I'm sure there was other words before, but they used to be called smart apps. Then they were AI intelligent apps. What were smart apps, John? I don't remember. I, I think you could like they were config more configurable or something, mm-hmm. and they would. Something like that. What about web-enabled apps? God. (laughs) (laughs) That's always a good way to trigger John. Yeah. Smart apps, AI. And then when AI came out, the AI community had to switch to machine learning. Uh, And then machine learning got co-opted, so they had to go to neural networks. Now, these were all terms that previously existed. Well, those are real things. They were trying to differentiate themselves from this this cookie-cutter corporate word that got co-opted. And so in order to make make their research and their work relevant um, and still be able to get grants on it, they had to start transitioning to these other words. I mean, those are those are real things. I think the thing that gets co-opted most nowadays is, is artificial intelligence because it's still, you know, like AGI, I guess, is it's still yeah, machine a, learning was is on the cusp. Of I, I know. It I too. know. Yeah. And that's and, what I mean. These these people who are researching AI and doing true AI stuff 
as it was as it existed prior to corporate getting their hands on it could say i'm an ai researcher i want to get a grant to study this this and this and you would you give a grant to someone who's doing ai when salesforce has ai einstein no that's where that already exists so now you got to move on to these other terms these other fields and, and focus your efforts there even though you're doing the same work yeah yeah i remember i I think I saw this, I don't know if it was the first time, but it's, it's the one that sticks in my memory the most. This was in probably the late 2000s, but with service-oriented architecture. And I forget who mm. originally kind of coined that term and came up with a general architecture for it. Um, but also ESB, Enterprise Service Bus. Um, yeah, those were, the, the vendors just yeah. d- took those terms and ran with it and, and just ruined it. It just ruined it. Yeah. Even I did to a certain extent. I didn't. Uh, know, so I didn't. Your, so I was. Job. I always heard it as SOA. So I always thought it was yeah, like so system oriented architecture. Till someone corrected me on oh. it, and I felt like an idiot. Yeah, service, <laughs> service oriented. Yeah. And now it's weird because, okay, when I learned service oriented architecture, it was, um, it was, uh, like, it was, it was using. M- you know, a collection, a, a loose, like heterogeneous collection of independent services, like process independent, you know, mm-hmm. y- usually, you know, using web technologies to, and orchestrating them to, to form uh, ad-, ad hoc or what's the word for like, not necessarily pre-planned, but, but systems around yeah, it was, these it was, things. There's a way to you decouple compo- your systems. Yeah, yeah. Decouple systems that, and then compose new systems around those. Right. And that was kind of more of a, I would say so is more of a protocol, whereas ESB became the, maybe the hardware and the mechanism to yeah. support it. And that they both kind of went hand in hand. And that's kind of why they got oh, overused at the same time. But then, you know, the vendors, you know, they, they would then come out with like, Oh, you know, you can buy our, so you can buy our ESB. And it's like, well, you really can't buy a SOA in a box. It just it doesn't work that way. Right. That it almost violates the the spirit and of everything about it. But then you have things like you know I, I think it was the Ruby community more than anyone. You know they when they ta- started talking about service oriented architecture, architecture had it completely different. This was you know inside one process. Like you might have just like you know different services like mm-hmm. you know uh, a person lookup service and a you know whatever service and these little they're they're all in the same process. It's it's just that's more software patterns inside right. a, inside a monolithic build, which which you know okay I could I could entertain an argument on why that's a service oriented architecture, but it's completely different. <laughs> you know, it's like we really should come up with a different term for these things. Well, words do matter. I know we're trying to con- communicate ideas, but it's funny how how corporate marketing just ruins these things that we're trying to communicate with each other. I think MuleSoft's a good example of that. Cause but there's no corporate marketing behind Ruby, though. That was just a community that just kind of like saw the term and like, well, we're going to use that term, but it's going to mean something completely different. <laughs> True. But, uh, yeah, I was going to tangent into MuleSoft because I remember during my training of Mule, um, they really wanted to dif- differentiate themselves from from words like SOA and ESB. So they're really hammering down how they were kind of a, a – they were web API first or yes. something, I think was the yeah. term they were using yep. at the time. All I, it was all about AP. Uh, they're they're at the at the point in there when they became an adolescent. They're like, we got to use the term API. Yeah. That's what's <laughs> that's what's hot right now. Right. Yeah. I can't tell you how many meetings I had with like, IT managers and executives. You know that 
just whatever had the words API there, like, that's what they would buy. And mm. so that, they all started buying MuleSoft because MuleSoft was the one that was currently the one that was like leading the talk on APIs, mm. API, API integrations. I mean, oh yeah, APIs are great if you have them, but also the word still, world still runs on CSV files and FTP servers. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> trust me, I use API, APIs any chance I get. But, you know, the truth is there's way more dragons behind APIs than there are behind CSV files on FTP servers. Because yeah, you are totally dependent on how well someone implemented their API. Yeah. And the fail, the big, biggest things are the failure modes. How do they fail? Mm-hmm. Do they have good, do they return the, the correct HTTP code when they fail? Well, that's, that's what was nice about MuleSoft is they had a whole monitoring system on top of that that, that, that was built on it. So. Me, me, the stuff that, that's where software comes into play. That's where software yeah. shines, I think, is I, that you take these terms. I'm sure you market it, but you, you put something behind it yeah, that's yeah. valuable. I think, I think you know, Mule's big value add is, um, is all the governance and like orchestration mm-hmm. stuff. Like yep. you, you can set, you know, and that's, again, that kind of goes back to, again, 15 years ago, all the SOA stuff. Like, what was the God? What was the technology? Um, crap. Uh, what 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 was the technology that would catalog your list? It was oh. like a list of web of your soap services. Yeah, I don't remember what that is either. Was but it, I know what you're talking about. What? W A S L? No, what was it? Um, I oh, shit. Yeah, I forget. I don't, I don't remember either. Um. And that that just never really took off. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Mule's got some pretty cool stuff around cataloging, cataloging your services, mm-hmm. API gateway security, monitoring management. That's that's where MuleSoft shines. Because honestly, like the core ESB and routing engine and and, and data transformation, all that stuff, it's that's a commoditized problem. I mean, that's what you know, you know, Apache Camel things like that are great at. And yeah. Apache Camel is free and open source. But it's really when you need that more enterprise stuff that um, Mule really shines, and things like Mule. Yeah. When you want to get rid of all your McDonald's employees and put a kiosk up. <laughs> <laughs> you need to connect your APIs. Yeah. No, that was one of their examples was how much it might, uh, McDonald's was using their their uh, their system. Oh, MuleSoft? Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Mm. A little case study there? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. It was something they were touting and proud of that, you know. But it's true. I mean, if you're going to have a, I mean, you, you have to have a way for your systems to communicate. If you're going to have a kiosk that then tells some robot in the back of the building to build the burger and fry some fries, you know, you need you need an API to communicate that. You no, need I mean, to yeah. orchestrate it. Yeah. You need to I manage mean, it. You need to monitor it. Or you could just drop a CSV file for the order on some FTP server. <laughs> you, could, you could put a person back there to do it. <laughs> No, we can't have we can't have those people, no, John. Those people, people are too expensive. Yeah, and too many problems with people. They got to go to the bathroom and eat and take breaks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, John, I have a question for you. I feel like we should have a, a regular segment that we we pull a random uh, question from the Salesforce Reddit. Do you ever see this? Uh, I've seen Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, so I have the I have the Reddit app on my phone, which I probably shouldn't because I never use it. But it's actually pretty good. It, every once in a while, I get a notification because, mm-hmm. like, I'll get something like there's a there's a there's a subreddit called mildly is either mildly amusing or mildly entertaining, mm. and it's actually great because it's like photos or stories or whatever of things that are they're not like fought out of your chair laughing or any that kind of stuff, but they they are mildly amusing. 
makes sense. And it always sucks me in. But I'm, but also, it must know that I'm, you know, in the Salesforce community. And so every once in a while, it'll, it'll pop up a post from the that's got kind of got a lot of traction or whatever in the Salesforce mm. Reddit, subreddit. But this one is why do so few devs use GitHub? Sorry, why do so few Salesforce devs use GitHub? Hmm. I can tell you why. Yeah, okay. Tell me why, John. Because developers don't use GitHub. Only coders do. What? What's the difference? <laughs> coders? Remember, oh, we lost we lost the term developers. Yeah. yeah, developers means admins and flow builders and flow natics and yeah. workflows and, you know. Man, what do you need? We, we, had, we had to come up with a word called coder to describe people who are to differentiate you know, using the apex language. I think I know what I'm hearing. I think it's, I think it's this. Maybe it's like, I don't know. Some static. Yeah. Some nice dance moves for a white boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I had to toss in a little racism for the year 2023. All right. So let's look at some answers. Um, this guy says, I've never understood the relative paucity of repositories for Salesforce projects. Considering how many developers write Apex, either open source still hasn't caught on in our cohort or source control still daunts people. I don't get that. Are they saying that there's not enough open source Apex code in the wild? That No, I think they're saying there's a ton of Apex or I yeah, I don't know, that's a good question. I don't think I don't, they I don't think they understand the the financials and the economics of it. I mean, I'm not going to go and Here's, here's another answer. From my experience, the top two reasons why Git is not used in Salesforce projects are, number one, client has a limited budget. Yeah. I, and I honestly, I feel, <laughs> I feel like that's a terrible answer. And number two, admins and devs working together on a project. Yeah. That's a less bad answer. But the first one's a bad answer because you don't have to have budget for Git. If it's taking you that long to... Use get, then you're doing something wrong. Oh, I'm, when I said financials, I meant that they're they're doing their best to not have to get into development. Oh, they're using as much as many low okay. code tools as they mm. can before they have to do any significant amount of but you, development. But you know, my argument on that is, I don't care if you're using low code, high code, no code, pro code. You can version control that, and you probably should. Yeah. I mean, now I, what that does that would segue into one of our other topics. I was going to say, <laughs> I know where you're going, but I don't know if we <laughs> want to get there yet. But it's on the list. Uh, yeah, number two, something I saw a couple times so far: admins don't have experience with source control and often not feeling uh, often not willing to deal with it. This can be a problematic when you have a mixed team of devs and admins. Mm-hmm. Which what which we were hoping that DevOps, I'm sorry, DevOps Center would alleviate, but it doesn't appear to be doing yeah. that just yet. I wonder if they'll rename it to Platform Engineering Center. Heck. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, but here's, here's, a, here's a counter story. I work in Salesforce since 2014, and I've only had two small projects that didn't use a repository. All our dev projects use a repository. Yeah. Now, admin stuff doesn't always make it in it, but code touches it. It's in a repo. As a consultant, it's oftentimes a matter of client budget. When the client is looking for ways to trim down an estimate, often DevOps DevOps hours are the first to be scrutinized. You shouldn't have DevOps hours. You should not call up. This is the problem. With, this is actually such a great 
example of the problem with what's happened to DevOps. Mm-hmm. Well, in the Salesforce world, I can tell you it's, what happens. It's just, it's just seen as a cost now. It's well, just seen as a cost. You know what's happening though, right? When they when they make this cost argument, they're not doing their work in sandboxes. They're doing it in production. Hundred percent. That's what they're doing when they say that we're trying to meet a budget. Which means that they're not deploying anything. They're not tracking anything. They're configuring on the fly, and that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, but anything anything but the most simple project, like if you're not doing any source control and you're doing every all your work in production, like you're actually you're, – you're making the project more expensive by not doing it the right way. And you say that, but it's still cheaper to configure in production on a greenfield. If it's a very small project. But that, that technique, that, that MO falls over. When I, you hit a certain scale, I know, I agree, and it doesn't take that much. I agree, but that's not what happens. Hmm. And, actually, and actually, there's some tools that <clears throat> make it even harder, like field service. Uh, a lot of their configuration is data, not metadata. And so, <laughs> in order to deploy, you have to do a lot of uh, migrations as part of the process. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's much more expensive as well. I mean, part of what makes this ex- is ex- is uh, expensive is um, the Salesforce metadata slash deployment system. Mm-hmm. It, it's just far, far more difficult than what it should be. Oh, yeah. Here's yeah. an here's an answer from a uh, non-American perspective. This must be an American thing. Almost every project that I've participated in or seen across my five years all use GitHub. Staging environment and prod are connected to the repo, not the dev sandbox. Pull requests to the staging branch. Deploy to staging and master to prod with CID, CICD scripts. Jenkins or Copado? Uh, they're not. They're also not a consultancy. That, they're that's, not, yeah. That's a company that has, you know, built-in stuff. And that's much easier to set up than a consultant partner, partner who has to deal with hundreds, if not thousands, of clients and yeah. try to maintain all that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not that it's an excuse, but that's a, that's a whole different ballgame. Mm-mm. <clears throat> Yep, yep, yep. All right, let's see. Well, let's um I'm gonna I'm gonna segue to something I alluded to a minute ago. The question from um you know famous MMA fighter Chuck Liddell. Oh did you yeah, know did you know he's that? in the Salesforce ecosystem? I get another pour? Oh yeah. We always stop for a new pour. You gotta refill. Do I have to do the court? I mean I guess. I think people expect it. That one doesn't pop real well. It's a nice sweet. What's left of the ice? Nah, it's okay. I'm good. All right. So Chuck says, here's an esoteric question. Is it normal for the metadata API to not update source member records when manipulating custom metadata. Now, John, can I get a quick definition of, of what a source member record is? I don't know what a source member record is by definition. Well, I, through, through context clues, I've determined that it, that is um, involved in the, what do they call it? Change tracking that the okay. DX CLI and other tooling uses. I haven't I haven't picked that apart to to know that level of detail. Yeah, so um, he's saying if I update a custom metadata type from the setup menu, I get an updated source member. 
But if I update the same custom metadata type from the metadata API, I do not. So he doesn't get the source member record. So, you know, it causes change tracking to fail, basically. Hmm. Um, yeah. I remember you, you, we talked about that a little bit before we recorded, but now that you mention it that way, doesn't that make sense? Because it's a... If you're deploying, then it assumes that you've already got that update. And when it compare, no. Yeah, because I mean, when it compares well, and, your and, and local well, source with who is, what Salesforce who is, says, and the question is, who is you? I mean, anyone else who is tracking that org should get that as change tracking, right? And I've I've fixed source tracking issues by doing a deployment when I when I needed to, which was basically a not a not a push, but a meta deploy. And that still came through okay when it did the comparisons. So I'm curious about this exact scenario is, but it almost seems like if it's comparing local source with with uh, these source tracking, I don't know, index or registry, it wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the answers we get is that, you know, teams are responsible for their own source, me- source member updates. Hmm. There's framework code that covers the basic stuff, uh, but then there's off-the-beaten-path situations where a, a team, I'm assuming that means like a product team at Salesforce, has, has, has built a feature that they have to kind of customize how that source member gets updated. What are you doing, spilling your whiskey? I don't know where that came from. Uh, it could just be sweating, right? Oh, okay. But this is what I was saying earlier. Like this, this, is, this is what we've heard for how, how long? Ten years now? On the metadata API. Oh, well, we're, you know, we're, we're dependent on all these different teams to implement their yeah. metadata yep. area properly, which is like the bane of my life at this point. Yeah. And DevOps Center. Dev, DevOps Center as a product should have ran into all this too. It's not like they don't, they're not aware of this pain. They should be aware of it. That's not DevOps Center's problem. DevOps Center is using these APIs just like we are. Oh, I know. That's what I mean. I mean, but it's not a problem with DevOps Center. So they can be like, we're doing the right thing here. <laughs> if you don't, I mean, they are, they are also dependent on these other APIs and those APIs being implemented correctly. I guess I put myself in their shoes. And if I was writing DevOps Center, I'd be like, damn it, guys, I need this done right so that I can cover the full spec of, of what this tool was designed to do. And at some point they had to go, well, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And someone had to go and swallow that, that pill. Yep. And it makes you wonder, like, what what is the, in, you know, I guess you have all these teams who can implement, you know, metadata API and source tracking as, as well as they kind of feel like they need to. But what, what is their, how does that incentive work? How, how, how does that get, no how does that idea. get back to them? That I mean, they, to me, there's got to be some kind of governance. There's got to be some kind of, you got to think there's bureaucracy because things don't happen that fast at Salesforce. You got to think that that bureaucracy is creating this opportunity to make sure that all these boxes are checked, but it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen it with the, I've seen it in other things, but probably one of my biggest pet peeves is the drift on the design system. Cause that was supposed to be the Bible of how the UI and everything else was built. And we were supposed to match between the stuff we're doing custom with the stuff that Salesforce is doing. And it's drifted so far that it's, it's, it's unrecognizable mm. and it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. That's, this is why, Oh, it's just, and that's a recent, well, that's a recent initiative and me- metadata is, as, as an issue has been going on yeah. for forever. 
I mean, I have no, I have no room to talk because I've, I've simply never worked in an organization of that scale that I, I couldn't even tell you what the strategy would be. Jeremy, I mean, they overhired. They had more than <laughs> enough people. And, and, and when that's, and it's also a thing of like, you know, it's a, good, it's a great example of you know, throwing more people at a problem isn't going to solve it any I know. better. Um, I was being a bit for Jesus with in, that. In fact, I think, I think keeping coherence on really anything, any kind of architecture, design system, whatever you want to think is, you know, the the more people you have, um, the dip, more difficult it may be. What's is it Conway's law? I mean, or whatever, like you know, that describes. Uh, it's not really Conway's law. It's something something else. But you know, the more communication points you have, the more people you have, it, it becomes exponentially more difficult to keep everyone in sync and coherent, cohesive, coherent, yeah. cohesive, maybe and cohesive. cohesive. Yeah. yeah. So let me play a little devil's advocate here. Um, what is what if the answer to this question is that they're trying to get to market quicker so to get feedback, knowing that everything's going to change? So they're trying; they're not trying to lock down all those dependencies, like make sure Could the be. metadata. No, I know. Um, and yeah. what is the greater evil? Right, holding it until you get all the dots and eyes crossed and everything, or putting it out, knowing that it's a little bit incomplete yeah. that you're going to complete it as you get feedback. Because we all know this is you know we all work under DDD, right? Which is not domain driven design; it's deadline driven development, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, you know, you're time boxed. Like when the bell rings, you ship what you have. Um, yeah. And the other thing is, like some of the stuff. I mean, you know, I'm trying to. Again, play devil's advocate a little bit. Maybe these are edge cases. Maybe the, some of the stuff we're doing and that you know Chuck, the Chucks of the world are doing is are really, really edge cases. It could be. I mean, I would argue that they're important edge cases. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, listen. If you have for every thousand organizations that are using your product, if there's one of them that runs up against something, you know, where does that fit on the priority list? And when you're trying to run a business, yeah, I've, I've had that perspective as well. If if you know, if we were to put percentages on it, what if we're just the 1% that runs into this and, you know, to move people and resources for 1%, you know, is that efficient? Yep. You know, as long as there's some workaround. Yeah. As I mean, frustrating it, as it might be. You know, at some point, is, is it just the tail wagging the dog and we're, and we're the bitchy engineers that are the tail? Yeah. Or is this, you know, really important stuff that deserves to be done right so that you can do things like DevOps? Well, yeah, and I was going to uh, – this, this statement probably leads into that, and that is even though it is a one percenter problem, it does contribute to technical debt, and it does stack. And it at does. some point, it does. At some point, it's going to be But whose problem with that and who's – you know. Ah, uh, you know. Yeah. Who should solve that? And where does that – again, where does that fit on the priorities list? I don't know. Probably pretty low because it doesn't contribute to new license sales. I try not to be, you know, that that engineer that thinks that the whole world should re- revolve around my specific engineering problems. Oh, I do. I mean, I <laughs> listen to my heart. I am that guy. Trust me. I, I, but throw, I, I throw my fits every so often. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I try to have some sympathy for the rest of the world, which has its own sets of problems that you know, yeah, may not that mine have to measure up against. It's yeah, empathy. Thank you. Know, you. Empathy. That's a good word for it. Yeah. I do strive for empathy. It doesn't always happen, but I do strive for it. I try to understand what the other guy was thinking. Yeah. Whether I'm reading someone else's code or looking at the architecture of a system, I try to think about, you know, possibly what were they dealing with when they came up with this decision. Right, right. What kind of just, what kind of bullshit was rolling downhill at them? Yeah, yeah. 
Because you know it was something. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm sure someone has looked at stuff I've built and go, what the hell, man? And I, I would have been like, yeah, you weren't there, dude. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the vast majority of us are just doing our best with the situation we're in. Yeah. And I feel, you know, I mean, that's why, I don't know. And I'm, I'm old now, and I should have come to some of this maturity many years ago. But, I mean, really, when I, when I look at, you know, some of these, you know, I think issues that we perceive from the from the outside of Salesforce that you got to imagine that these people on the inside, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're also in the, they're doing the best they can in the situation they have. I mean, they're in a you know, giant organization with so many competing interests and mm-hmm. so many deadlines. I just, I, you know, it's very easy for me to sit here and complain. And I, and I do. Yeah. And I think that's fair too. It's, I think it's fair. It is fair. Um, yeah. But I don't, but I, but I get it though, that I'm not, my problems aren't their only problems in the world. Uh, right. <laughs> and we're all just trying to do the best we can. Well, John, you said you had a bunch kind of, of you said I, you had a bunch of topics. You know, I did, and then I looked at it and they're all pertaining to the layoffs, and I'm like, I don't really want to talk about that well, anymore. Well, you know, that was just it's so dominant in the news cycle. And yeah. it, it's just still going on. And every time a new company announces it just keeps it all circulating. Yeah. So on that note, I do have one news topic. It's really short, and then we can get into predictions slash hope. I have no predictions, but I did. Um, I'll give you mine, and you can you okay. can feed off of them. Okay. But go ahead. What? Well, no. What was your? I thought you. Oh, my last news item. Yeah. Um, and this just happened yesterday. I got the email that Amazon Smile was going to be shutting down. I saw that, which is a bit of a it's a bit of a letdown. I think Amazon just didn't really commit to the program. You had to go in through a specific URL on Amazon's site in order to enable Amazon Smile. And all that program was was that as you were buying stuff on Amazon, they would take a percentage of that and donate it to whatever charity you chose. Um, so I liked it for that. But I wish they would have committed to it and made it part of your profile so that everything you buy, regardless of what URL you went to, contributed. I yeah. think that would have been better. But I think for Amazon, it was just kind of a feel-good, you know, get my – what was it, ESG score up or something yep. type situation? Yep. It wasn't a real commitment to charity for them. Yeah, it was. I saw the numbers. I think that I think they had contributed like four hundred fifty million, which is you know that's a big a big number. Um, but for Amazon, it's a, it's a, it's actually a right. vanishingly small percentage. And, and it turns out that you know I think the vast majority of items you buy on Amazon aren't even qualified. And yeah. and when they do qualify, is it is it a half a percent? I mean, I don't know. Like again, I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. I mean, there's a, I saw several anecdotes and quotes from a lot of these charities who, you know, would receive, I don't know, like nine or $10,000 a year. There was a huge deal to them. Yeah. And, and I think my annual report, I, I think I did near a thousand. Did you? Not annually. Okay. Since the program has been around. Yeah. So it's, it's not nothing. And I don't definitely, I'm not going to downplay that, but yeah, it does seem like Amazon. It was, it seemed like it was very half-hearted commitment by them yeah uh, i don't know I that's know. the disappointing part about it i mean they, they really could have expanded it and made it part of the platform itself rather well, than this <laughs> this offshoot niche that they carved out and their reasoning made no sense they said well you know the problem is we had too many charities so it was it was just spreading that those funds too thin well i don't think they cared but but tighten up the list of charities then or make it yeah. simplify it like fix it well they curated the charities, so i don't see why they had too many if they had too many then i don't know you know, there's as with all these things, there's the reason that's that's given, and yeah. then there's a real reason, which we probably will never know. But we can speculate about. They laid off that whole department. Yeah, <laughs> that's what happened. 
It's sad. Yeah. It just, but I do encourage everyone, whatever you think you are contributing, just make sure you're um, through that program. Make sure you're making it up in other ways, you know, when sure. you're, when you're writing your end of the year checks or whatever you do. Yeah. <clears throat> um, my only other thing, I mean, actually I wanted to talk to you about uh, just cause I, I've just been in such a haze. Um, but I did see that there's the rumors that Apple will do some touchscreens on laptops. Did you see this? I didn't. Okay. I've been out of the the rumor cycle for a while. I've decided uh, probably a good six or so months ago that I was going to stop looking at rumors for Apple. I've just lost faith in them. And honestly, I really don't care. I'm at a point where I'm just, I'm not going to throw money at technology anymore. No, but I just, I need, you know, I need Apple to keep making products that I need. Yeah, but they got so many, I mean, they've got the, the glasses in the work they've got the car in the work they've got all these other things in the works that have just been rumored for years and i just got tired of trying to keep up with them. oh yeah no i i agree with that i don't i don't really follow that speculative stuff or the, yeah. the far off stuff i'm just more concerned about are you going to keep making a computer i can use no what i want them to do is is freaking reduce the number of SKUs they have they don't need freaking five different versions of iphone 14 or 13 or 11 just have freaking one or two as, I thought they were they've, like, they've been steadily increasing uh, their their SKUs, and I don't understand. Well, it. they it's go, diluting. They things. go through this cycle. I mean, Apple's done this before, where they and, and with a bunch of SKUs, yeah, and then it gets way trimmed down. Of course, tons of people complain uh, about it being trimmed down. That's fine. It's not that many though. There's it's not. Like, how many iPhone 14s are there? Two or three? The regular, it's the four. Pro, and the Max. Right? It's like four. Well, pick one not you five. Want. What, does it, what does it matter to you? Just pick the one you want. It, it, how's this a burden on you that they have four iPhone 14 SKUs instead of one? Good point. Because <laughs> uh, I have to make a decision at some point, uh, and I have to make a decision yeah. across four products instead nah. of two. How about that? Okay. <laughs> anyway, this is, I'm just, I cherry picked this Ars Technica report. Report claims that Apple could reverse course and add touchscreens to Macs. Now, this is, this is eight days old. So I think there have been some new information, but, um, oh, there are also working on mixed reality headsets. What's mixed? Is that the glasses you were talking about? Yeah. What is mixed reality, John? It's you get kind of a virtual, you it, kind of get virtual and augmented reality at the same time. So you get the augmented stuff, which is kind of you know, I, I want to say HUD heads up display yeah. type stuff. But it's then like I look get, at you and it like it pops up your name next to your face and tells me like you're like I'm on the right. CIA or something but like your background get, and and then you'll get like kind of the virtual <laughs> side, which is kind of putting in virtual objects into your environment, and that's what you're looking at as well. Oh, humans, we're doomed, John. Yeah. Humans are doomed. I mean. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they, uh, let's see, they're actively engaged in this project. They're seriously considering, um, touchscreen max. You know, it's funny cause I had a couple of different friends who pinged me when this news came out mm. and they're like, ah, oh, you're finally going to get a touchscreen for your Mac. I'm like, I, I want a don't for my want Mac. anyone's fingers, including yep. mine, touching my screen. Yep. Cause I keep a clean screen. Yes. You know what bugs me is the, the the gap tolerance between the keyboard and the screen is not enough. And so when you close your lid, if you've got oh, uh, yeah. grease on, on the keys keyboard, yeah. from your fingers, it touches the screen. I and I always have to wipe all that off. Me too. I know. Yeah. I think, I think these are a little, this one's a little better, nope. but I still get, no, not, not, not better. better. Okay. <laughs> I'm still wiping. Yeah. Especially since I still, had to, oh, I don't have title. my office. Still, still wiping. <laughs> I don't have my office, so I've been running primarily off my laptop on in a lot of scenarios. So I've been touching my keyboard more than I want to. Um, <laughs> another title. 
<laughs> and so I end up with a greasy screen. <laughs> oh, we better get to I know. move on I mean, before we get to drunk John. It's devolving very fast. <laughs> okay, so I had uh, someone who is this? I guess this is the Salesforce developer blog. Uh, re- oh, hang on. Release highlights for developers. Uh, learn more, M O A R, all caps, Spring 23. This is from uh, oh, Mohit Srivastava. Uh, who is a uh, you know member of the Good Day Sir Slack? I've noticed. Appreciate uh, appreciate all the participation. All right, uh, let's see. Here we go. Generally available features new for Apex. Uh, so we have this secure code. Uh, sorry, secure Apex code with user mode for database operations. So there's now a you can do like select ID from account with user mode. Mm. So it automatically. Eh, God, it's. It automatically just does all the record, calculates all the record sharing and stuff, I guess. It's, um, it would be a dynamic way of saying, specifying which user to run that. that uh, yeah, I guess. The, so the Apex code you write runs in system mode context by default. Right. Right. With the user mode for database stuff, developers can run SQL and DML in the user's context. Right. Oh, and so, yeah, so the query, that it just adds a syntax with user mode after, like, the from or the where statement mm-hmm. or whatever. And then for DML, you would say insert as username account or whatever you're inserting, whatever the. So that's, I mean, any, that, that's, a, that's a great security improvement because I think that um, as with some of the, what was the field level security stuff that they, uh, what was that syntax? I forget now, but um Everyone used to have to do all the manual field level security calculations themselves. It was real burden on ISVs. Yeah, and that's gotten a lot better, right? Yeah, it's really easy. And you've now got, that you've got SQL syntax to, to control that, and you've also got some libraries that will strip. Access. So that was a field level thing. Now this is this is more like a record level thing. So that's it that's is. great. Yeah, but it provides, especially the DML operation. I think is probably more important than anything because it it allows you to kind of maintain kind of your audit integrity so to speak because you can say you can you can now do scenarios where you can say yes i'm the integration or the application running this under a single account but i want it to be done by this person under their their context yeah yeah because yeah. triggers right triggers always run well i mean historically have well, always triggers run aren't an issue because right? triggers are always even if they are run by system they're still run by that user so you still have that user context it's scenarios I where i feel like i feel like triggers are system well they are okay to a certain extent, but you but, but you know which user <laughs> the the problem is is like like you you can get which user it is, yeah. but nothing enforces that. Like it, it, your all your queries in DML is still is, is still system mode, right? Right. This is a way to say, yeah, we know who the user is. That's great. But now when I do my queries in my DML, do it as if I'm that user, right? right? Impersonate that user's context so that uh, I so that we can be, avoid security problems. It's got to be a niche scenario it is covers yeah because most anything i mean probably the the easiest scenario i could think of is is some kind of api integration where you have a single account but you need during certain transactions you need it to run under that user's context so there's a lot of stuff i mean even just uis and stuff like you you want to write your your your, ui you're still under the current user context yeah but it doesn't enforce that's what i'm saying it doesn't enforce this stuff well if you're an isv you have to enforce it you it's manually, the right? But the, you manually I think this just it. takes this takes the human error out of the coding. I think that's what they're trying to do, primarily. Yeah. yeah. Or you can just ask ChatGPT, Chat "Hey, write me a secure Apex trigger." It does it for you? <laughs> You're good to go. I'm, I'm 
me. You don't need, you don't need me anymore. No. Yeah. No. I'm not even sure why you're here right now, actually. I know. Okay. Except you brought the whiskey, so that's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more thing that I didn't put on the list, but I do want to talk Uh-oh. about. We oh, talked about it a little bit before. You're interrupting my segment here. Oh, Don. sorry. I didn't know. I thought I mean, do you done. want to just jump to that? Or? I thought you were done. No, no. That was just our first. No, that was our just our first feature. Oh, John's such a famous person. He has to take calls during the, during yeah. the show. You know what? This this I'm I'm stalked by a stalker called Spam. Uh, I am too. You know this guy gets around Spam. Yeah. Yeah. Spam caller. Yeah. It's a weird name, isn't it? it for is. a person. Uh, okay. Let's see. LWC stuff. Let's see. Uh, new. We have a new improved render time. We have new conditional directives. Uh, we have an improved debugging experience for wire adapters and a new way a new way to query DOM elements. I didn't hear about that one. Yeah, you should look into that. As someone who doesn't do LWC, I have no idea about any of that. I mean, I can I could speculate. I could I could chat G. I could do a human inter- interpretation of Chat GPT and tell you what that <laughs> what I think that means, and it would sound correct, but it would in fact not be correct. <laughs> I wonder why it would be different though, because we use query we use query selectors for that. On the DOM against the the template DOM. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I wonder if it's because they're enabling a light shadow DOM, and there's new ways. To, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. Anyways, all right. Uh, so for uh, Salesforce functions, have you gotten in functions at all? We, nope, I, I really haven't either. Um, but I guess the initial language they, they supported out of the out of the shoot were Java and JavaScript, right? So they've added Python. Oh. No, 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 no. I, I do wonder, though, if it supports Java. I don't know how you get your Java into it, so I guess you couldn't... Well, doesn't get... Kotlin transpile into JavaScript or yeah, whatever Yeah, well, it, it all just compiles down into Java bytecode. But I don't think, with for function, I don't, I don't think you give it your jar of bytecode. I think you give it your source code. So mm. it probably, you probably can't do any of the other JVM languages at this point. Yeah. No, but yeah, they've added Python, which is uh, probably a pretty big deal. I mean, a lot of people use Python. I, I uh, as as a mm, Python adjacent programmer, <laughs> um, I, I like Python. I would I say know. I'm a Python aware developer. Yeah, I've yeah. I've heard of Python. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm also the one that, for some reason, in my head, says PHP when I want to say Python. I've done that on several mm. occasions, and I did that recently. When we were at a meetup, but uh, that's not nice. I get my terms mixed up uh, yeah, really easily. That's that's a bit dyslexic in that. Is that dyslexia or is that uh, that's something else? I think it's just John Brain. That's just John not knowing what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, in addition, some other features worth noting for Salesforce functions include support for bulk APIs in the functions SDK. That's that's nice, especially considering that I think I feel like a lot of the use cases for functions are a big off-platform batch processing of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you really need to. Be, Access the bulk API. Yeah, I would think so. that so. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, support for, oh, wow. Custom cloud-native build packs for functions. Hmm. I had to look into that. Build packs are, uh, are definitely a huge thing. And then binary field support with the functions SDK. So I guess it maybe didn't support binary fields before. Now it does. Anyway. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, DevOps Center has been GA since December. Yep. Um, haven't touched it. Yeah, I'm trying to think, <laughs> find out what's new here. The Salesforce CLI supports additional metadata uh, for source commands and has significant improvements, including improved typing experience. 
Is that the, how they've eliminated the, the requirement to use colons and stuff? For DevOps? No, for the CLI. They're talking about the CLI. Oh, yeah. The CLI, you can use spaces now. You don't have to use colons. And and also, yeah, they're just making it smarter in general. There's more than just just colons and spaces. There's other stuff, too. Unfortunately, I've gotten trained on colons. I have, too. It's going to be some hard muscle memory to break. It was was hard to develop that muscle memory. I'm not ready to give it up Exactly. It's like, I, yeah, I went through the pain of, <laughs> I learned how to make yeah. that pinky hit that colon. I know. Button. Like I think my colon buttons is wearing down, worn down. <laughs> your colon's my colon. Your colon's wearing down. <laughs> it is. It is. Trust me. You should ask my proctologist about that. <laughs> hey, John, you're of the age. Have you gotten your uh, colonoscopy yet? I have not. I've not got to schedule mine. I'm, yeah. I'm going on almost a year late. It used to be 50. Now it's 45. Damn. It used to be 40 and then it went to 45. So I didn't, I haven't had it done at all. Mm. No, it was never 40. It was 50. No, it was 40. No, it wasn't. It was 40. You're thinking yes. of something else. No, it was 40. Okay. Because I turned 40. I was like, I got to get my pro- my proc done. And there's like, oh, you can wait till it's you're 45. It's a colonoscopy. You're, are you confusing um, the uh, prostate? No, the colonoscopy. Okay. Maybe, am I confusing the prostate? I don't know. I got man parts that I got to get checked uh, out. You do. You do. <laughs> bottom line. Yes. Bottom, yeah. bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. No. Okay, uh, so we have, let's see, oh, we have a quick clone for partial and full, full sandboxes hosted on Hyperforce. I hate that name. It's not hyper. It's nothing hyper about yeah. it. Um, so they've expanded limits for external services, allowing you to register even more complex open API specification. Oh, mm. I, I just haven't looked into that yet. That's cool. Open API is definitely a big thing. I mean, that's the successor to, what was it called? Um Oh my gosh! Wow, I have such whiskey brain right now. Yeah, me too. Um, swagger, swagger. Okay, no, then I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> um, so data weave is in beta. Let's see, beta feature, data weave in Apex. That's going to be great. Uh, that'll be. That's just really nice. I mean, data weave is just a, is a. I would say a pretty good. Uh, data transformation language. Sure, it's pretty powerful. I mean, there's man, you can do you can do like in three or four lines of data weave, which would have taken you. It's got a nice oh, syntax. so much, so much apex, and so much just in, inefficient apex to do. Um, so data weave definitely that's that's really cool. I I hate implementing fluid syntax, but I enjoy using it. It's so tedious to implement, but it's really nice using, especially when you don't have oh to build a, like a fluent API, especially when you don't yeah. have uh, generic support. Right. That's horrible. Oh, that's that's true. Yeah. You can now build screens with reactive components. You can use uh, supported screen flow components or LWC within flows to build a screen like a single page application. Mm. There's a uh, refresh API for LWC. I don't know what that's all about. Oh, you can yeah, I heard again. something about that. Um, and there's a yeah. light DOM in LWC. Yep. What's a light DOM, John? It's it's to allow your sub components to, uh, I guess, I have the right way to say that to be embedded into the into the DOM as children, not as children of a shadow DOM. Okay, yeah, this says it allows developers to apply global styles for their LWC components. It's more than that. It's 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 so that like let's say you have a table and you you want to create a sub component that re- that is represents the rows. It'll embed itself directly underneath the TR tag that, that you had previously versus 
versus this TR Shadow DOM context. Like it should bubble up correctly. I'm not explaining that well because I had whiskey, but yeah, it's it's much more than just styling. And I'm sure somebody understands. There's it. some I, markups. There's some markup um, things about it that that make it attractive. Okay. And then uh, under pilot features, we have the GraphQL wire adapter. Now, John, let me ask you: Have you ever done any work with GraphQL? Not professionally. Okay. <laughs> um, GraphQL is uh, is quite cool as a yeah. as a client or user of GraphQL. I would never want to implement GraphQL. It's very difficult to implement, mm-hmm. but as a client, it's incredibly powerful to get at just the things you want. Yeah. So you're really you're able to specify a very complex, not complex, specific query about which fields you want, which objects or whatever, and then you get like this really just tailored down graph of objects returned to you. But you're putting all that work on the server, mm-hmm. which is which is great. I mean, it's great. But I wouldn't client. want to be the the person on the server right. side having to implement this. It's not easy to implement GraphQL. So kudos to Salesforce for even implementing that. Although GraphQL has been a thing for quite a while, but this is a different thing. This is the wire adapter, and so they they built it on top of their GraphQL API. The wire adapter enables developers to use UI API enabled objects with the object-level security and field-level security of the current user within LWC. Hmm? I know, that was a lot of... So first of all, what are, what are UI API enabled? There's a UI API. You know what the UI API is? It's Well, traditionally, I would expect it has the uh, annotation of Aura enabled. I think this is different. I think they have a UI API. Anyway, uh, the wire adapter is equipped with client-side caching and data management capabilities provided by a Lightning data service. So that all sounds sounds good, if, you, if that's something you need. And really, when you're wanting to implement really efficient clients, that's GraphQL is pretty nice. Because, again, if I had to rationalize you push it, off all then... the complexity to the server, and you're making... You also make, you know, you make the payload of your API calls much cheaper. So, for, you know, I think, who, it wasn't like Facebook that invented GraphQL. You know, they did it because... It made. I mean, yes, it makes sense to spend the engineering resources because it makes their all of the because you know they have tons of these third party apps and all kinds of crap, and even I think internally, like their internal stuff, mm-hmm. it just it it you get so much efficiency by the client being able to get specify specifically the the things it needs yeah. versus versus having to like query a big old set of stuff and then on the client side pick through and, and whittle it down to what's actually needed. Yeah, the use case was that was supporting mobile more efficiently. Yeah, I think so. Because they, they had a huge issue with putting Facebook on mobile. Bloated mobile, yeah, experience, yeah. yep. Because it was using the same APIs as the client, as the desktop client, which was not efficient, so. Hey, John, before I forget, I, I need to check in on how's our um, label printing coming for our uh, sticker, <laughs> for getting out our sticker requests. I have an excuse. Oh, so already this, my excuse this, this does not I, sound good. It's sitting in my office, which I have not been in in over mm. two or three weeks. Mm. That is a bad excuse. It's not a bad excuse. I'm about to have to tear up my floors. I know, but you have other floors. You have other rooms. I know. I just I, you it, haven't tried it at all. It, it's sitting there. I was about to plug it in when I had to move out of my office. I'm just going to have to handwrite these labels. No, you know what? You're going to come in. and You're going to help me handwrite these labels. I will. I can do that because we have some sticker requests piling up. But you're buying lunch. Really. Yeah. How's that to come back on me? That's how it always works. When you have someone do you a favor, you got to buy them pizza. You're not doing me Help a favor. Help someone move. We're, we're just, we are performing our duties to this community, John. Fine. The community owes me pizza. <laughs> that could be. 
actually don't like pizza. Um, I eat it because it's convenient. You, you've never seen a tangent that you didn't like, did you, John? I like I like like margarita, like fire <laughs> roasted <laughs> pizza. I don't like like the the Papa John's or the oh boy. We better wrap this thing up, John. No, no, no I want to get to my rant. Okay, let's get to it. We don't have to get. We don't have to spend too much time on it. I just want to make the statement because I could save it for another episode, but I want to make the statement that I think Salesforce screwed the pooch with flows and getting and end of life and workflows. You've been. You need to watch yourself. This is uh, crown jewels you're talking about here. Uh, I just mean that that they took in getting rid of workflows, which had a very simple UI and allowed you to perform very simple, quick tasks like a quick email or some kind of notification or even a quick field update that was outside of the scope of code. Um, when they moved that all to flow, it created a huge amount of overhead and performance cost that I don't think was necessary. I think 90% of what people are trying to do on the platform is quick and easy. I want, you know, criteria X do Y. And I think the native classic workflow served that purpose really well. It might have had its issues, especially with, you know, record IDs and all that kind of stuff. They might have been able to address to address and possibly provide a migration path to a different technology that resolved that. But getting rid of it in place of flow, I think, was a huge mistake. I think performance-wise for the whole system and the health of the system, putting everything on flow was the wrong decision. And is, <clears throat> I'm kind of leading the witness here, but is that because when you need it, when you have a really simple task that needs to be done – the simple tool is the way to do it, not the yes. company. Yeah, that's the way. Yeah. Okay, that's, so that's and, yeah. and process, again, I was leading the witness, but that's why I feel about process it. builder. What I think was their attempt to provide a simpler interface for that. But I, my argument is not that it needs to be a simple interface. My argument is that it needs to be a simple native activity or task or process, not a what I'm going to say as flow being a program. Imagine a flow being just a program, an algorithm. You know, a quick notification, a quick field update, or a quick inspection of something to do something like create a task does not need to be its own program. I think yeah. it can be efficiently managed using classic workflow. And for anything else, yes, go to flow. But I think removing workflow is a huge mistake. Well, you know, this is one of those things. A longtime members of this of this community, this good day, sir community, John, will remember that I've always kind of groused about this trigger development model because it adds just inherent accidental complexity. Yes. It's a more complex, it is so much more difficult to figure out what is going to happen when I do this thing. Right. It's like dropping the proverbial ping pong ball down into the box of a thousand mouse traps that are all set with ping pong balls. Like, and it's predicting what's going to happen is, you know, it's one of the difficult, uh, engineering problems of our lifetime what now we've said hmm that's a really difficult problem even for even for like skilled engineers we're going to put a pretty ui on it and we're going to give it to people who aren't engineers that'll work (laughs) right huh yeah well even even that being said you didn't they didn't couldn't see my crazy face i was just making i know i know that 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 (laughs) That's a loss for the community because that was that was uh, Jack Nicholson that, level was it? Yeah. crazy face. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think Stanley Kubrick would have could have could have directed that. Oh, yeah. He still would have made you take a hundred takes of that. Yeah, of still. course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I even even as a developer, 
who's recently been doing a lot of flow, just helping out the team yeah. and getting my feet wet, which is go- a good thing because now I can actually I speak yeah. to, to how yeah. this stuff happens. And I got to tell you, I built this flow that was supposed to be very simple for a data entry form that touched a lot of objects. And to do the due diligence that you do in code, which is verify something exists or not to maintain the data, data integrity, to try to manage all your variables and everything within this system. That flow exploded on me. Before I knew it, it was huge. I had to like go down to, in terms of like percentage of view, to like one or 2% to see everything that I did to see the entirety of the flow. You know, when we talk mm-hmm. about those flows that that just had this huge graph of nodes everywhere and you had to like shrink it down to 1% just to see a portion of it, a, a single input form that granted did touch a lot of screens and did have a lot of kind of dynamic display, don't display type uh, logic in it, it blew up on me pretty quickly. Yeah. And I thought I was still within the realm of simple mm. when I built this. Yeah. That's a lot of complexity. It's for weird because simple. you know, flow is uh it's such a it's a double edged sword. I mean, it's it's great in that it really. I mean, I've seen just so many real examples, not just like you know, Dreamforce stage stuff um, of you know, non developers being able to do. I mean, pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, pretty impressive stuff. Uh, it's an it's an enabling technology. Yes. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it reminds me of like layered architecture, right? The whole reason we have like layered architecture and we have abstraction and I'm an old school object oriented guy. I know object oriented is not cool anymore, mm-hmm. but whatever. I mean, it, the same thing applies to functional programming. Um, but any given aspect of a program of an application needs to be able to fit in your head. And you can't fit all of it in your head. I mean, in mm-hmm. any non-trivial application, you cannot fit the whole thing in your head at once. But you need to be able to take, be able to take a look at any given slice of the application and understand it. Yeah. And that's where some of this stuff breaks down. It doesn't have that level of architectural... Well, it, it can't, because you have to define the inputs and outputs very strictly. In other words, the things that we can do in code, the things we can do as developers to advance our craft and to create new patterns are very difficult to to do in 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 flow because it's so strict. And you know, you know when I, I think of, you know, I, when I open like a big code base, um I work I work on I've been known to work on very large code bases and some some in Salesforce and some not at a, some not in Salesforce. But in either case, I really rely on my tools. There's no way you can navigate a big code base without having really good tooling. Right. And that's where flow is And, and so like IntelliJ, yeah. like when I'm working on, you know, Apache Camel, and it's millions of lines of code. Um, so many different uh, nested projects, and it's, you know, probably, probably th- thousands of, you know, like Maven submodules and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no way I could even come close to navigating and understanding that if it weren't for amazing tooling I have. Yeah. And Illuminated Cloud enables that for, on the Salesforce side, you know, a plugin into IntelliJ. And I know, you know, I'm sure VS Code and some of these other things or whatever do something similar. Um, I'm just really familiar with IntelliJ, so I tend to lean on the Illuminated Cloud plugin because it allows me to do that. Um, I don't know if, I don't think any such tooling exists for things like 
uh, flow. And when I see these you know, giant flows, I mean, it reminds you of, um, you know, in a bad code base, you'll see, I mean, I, I remember um, I had uh, someone I worked with help me uh, build a part of a system, a pretty big part. And I got back two, two classes, mm. two class files. Each of them were about, I'd be lying if I told you the exact number, but, you know, five to 10,000 lines in length. Oh, wow. Yeah. And when I look at some of these flows, you know, on non-trivial orgs, that, that's what I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm, okay, I've been instantly transported back to 1996 when I made the mistake of yep. getting help from someone who didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. But in this case, I think, I mean, what is, uh, you know, I'm, I know there's all kinds of best practices around flow. Um, and, well, they're trying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this is something that I think, you know, between the Salesforce and this you know, huge community of the flow masters, flow, what are they called? Flow, flow makers? Flow makers. No. Whatever they're called. Flownatics. Flownatics. I'm sure they are. Are they, are they competing factions? Are there different, like. Um, I think there's some, yeah, some, some subcultures in there. Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I know they're working on all this stuff, but it's just. Um, well, it's, it's funny because it's, it's history repeating itself. I mean, you remember during our team onsite, and uh, one of our more experienced Flow developers was talking about prefixing variable names in oh, Flow with what their types were. I just have too much we're PTSD like, around that, man. <laughs> we're like, well, yeah, that's Hungarian notation. And and I think the question was like, what do you guys do? And I, I think my response was, well, we have better tools. Yeah, we don't yeah. have to do that stuff anymore. That was, I remember that now. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what you said. We have better tools, so we don't yeah. have to do that. And I had to like pause because I mean, it almost came out like – like I was bragging or it yeah. came out the wrong way. Right. But the point was that, that the tooling, the IDEs that we have just are, are so good at, at helping us do what we do. And flow doesn't have that equivalent. So you end up having to do these, these really archaic things in terms of development. Um, but even so, even with that, even if you were to implement that, my point is that because the environment is so controlled, because you're very limited in, in the scope of what you can implement at best, you can manage your inputs and outputs, and you can name things so they make sense, and you can maybe call out to another flow or call out to code and get an input and response back. But there's no expressiveness. There's not enough there for complexity to be able to manage in, say, some kind of pattern, design pattern, or anything along those lines. There's no future development for that. You're yeah. locked into it. And again, this... Uh, it is. I know. God, we're 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 so we're, old. We're, I know we're such a broken Salesforce record. How is ever going to kind of advance this tool and say we're going to migrate from this to to something else? Well, this is why they also, even though you might have to like go to the the less attended Dreamforce sessions or whatever to hear this kind of thing, but you know they're never going to get rid of Apex. They're never going to get rid of triggers because yeah. it goes back to use you know right tool for the job. Again, I know we sound like old men. On a yeah. broken record here, but you know what's what's Flow good at? I think Flow's good at orchestrating things. I think Flow's good at like I think ScreenFlow is a strong. I think thing. that's what Salesforce needs is more orchestration. I think not, I think not, not this Flow architecture. Flow is good at it. I think some of these screen flows are pretty powerful. Possibly, you okay? I just have this weird little uh, cramp pain thing. Yeah. Um, and and the Flow is a good glue language. But you don't want to implement complex stuff in Flow. Like, you want to use a different tool for that. And then use Flow as it makes sense to glue these things together, to orchestrate 
um, processes and flows and experiences. I think, I think orchestrate is the proper problem to focus on. I, I, workflow was not an issue. Classic workflow was not an issue. Flow is not an issue. Triggered triggers are not an issue. What is an issue is orchestrating the order in which those execute and what happens mm-hmm. at the end of those executions. And can I make a 15 year callback back to our other conversation about SOA? Yeah. One of the reasons why so many of these SOA projects fail is because it's so hard to, to, pro- to produce the services with the right granularity. Yeah. If you can get all that right, because you okay, you have, have a heart attack here. It's like a muscle cramp where it just kind of tenses. It's like right here on the top of my chest. I get that sometimes. Um, because the applications and the, and the orchestrations that come out of that are um, not immersive. They're emergent. Mm-hmm. They're emergent. You, you don't know ahead of time. All you can do is try to use wisdom of previous experiences to know kind of what granularity, what, what kind of APIs you're going to expose. What's the granularity level of those APIs and these events? Right. You throw off, you know, whether it's, again, whether it's imperative APIs or an event-driven architecture, which Salesforce kind of supports nowadays, right? I mean, there's all kinds of ways to, and if you can kind of build out this ecosystem, this catalog of these services and events, then your flow builders who are working more directly, maybe, because we're backroom sweatshop developers so the, the flow people that now get to work with the business people right that are that are the ones that get to understand use cases and user stories um they can consume all these different services that embed all this really complex crap that you would never want to do in flow you should and you shouldn't try that's the thing you shouldn't try to do it with the wrong tool use right. the right level the right layer of abstraction use that right tool and when you're when you're at the point where you're you're putting together screen flows and you're you know you're or you're gluing together different kind of big processes that's that's where i think flow can be strong i just you know this i don't know i mean i, I don't follow enough i don't want to say salesforce isn't saying this they probably are you know you just have to you know you have to there's so much content out there nowadays salesforce produces so much content um and there's also the all these community events and i'm sure i'm sure people are talking about this i know they are i've, I've seen it it's just it's it's challenging. I, I mean, you know, it's very challenging. Well, it's challenging, but I think there's I think so much we're coming, surface area. Out there I think we're coming down to the crux of it is that we're solving for the wrong problems. The wrong. I problems. think flow is solving for the wrong problem. And but I, but I, you're trying. But it's it, no. You can't. You're you're you are anthropomorphizing flow. Flow is just a thing. It's not trying to solve anything. There may be people that are using it to solve inappropriate problems. No, no, that's not even what I mean. What I mean is that as a technology, if, if we're saying that workflow, classic workflow, was inefficient and needed to be improved, and that flow was the answer to that improvement, I don't think that's the case. Because we had classic workflow and we had code. The only problem that needed to be solved was the fact that they wanted a declarative mechanism to define business rules. And that's fine. But the, the overarching problem with all of this is orchestration. And we don't have an answer to that. I have an answer to that because I use TDD, and it provides me with a certain amount of that. Test-driven development? I'm sorry. What? TD, uh, trigger development. Oh, trigger. Like a trigger driver? TDTM? TDTM. There you go. Because I have TDTM, in which case I have a way of impacting the order in which things execute, as long as they were built with that perspective. Yeah. And that that has come in handy so many times in terms of being able to manage the system, maintain the system, handle edge cases where I need to turn something off because of something, or I need to 
change how something executes or modify how it executes at a declarative way. That's what flows should have solved for, but it doesn't. Mm. That may be even too low level for what I think is a good vision, a healthy vision for flow. I, I, I I, my argument is that orchestration is the bigger issue at Salesforce than what mechanism is used to trigger business automation. Yeah. And it again, should have started from it should have started from orchestration, not from the tool, not you know, from the the rule engine. And you know what really I think encompasses for me to me the missed mark of all the message around this is is the phrase and that they we hashtagged it, John. Clicks not code. Yeah, it should well, have been. It, it should have been. It worked. No, it should have been. There were no software, even though they were software. Uh, well, yeah, it, it worked. But it should have been clicks and code. Clicks and code. Should have been. And, and if you don't recognize these things both have their place, then you're you're missing it. It did create a it did create a binary, so to speak, in the community. It didn't create a environment where you could say. I'm building flow, but I need to reach out into to code, which you can do. Mm-hmm. You can create these hybrid models. Right. Um, but it didn't foster that. This no code thing does not foster collaboration between declarative and code, where you can get a lot of great value yeah, out of it. Yeah, because words matter. And, and words shape our our perception of things. Right. And these labels. Yeah. These labels matter. Words matter. I know. All right, let's get to predictions. We'll do them firehose mode. Okay. And you can react. Uh, I did. I, <laughs> I wanted to do predictions, but I realized my predictions were negs. So Uh-oh. I decided to instead relabel it to say hope for 2023. Okay. Uh, so concerning their podcast, uh, I hope we will do more than six episodes. Wink, wink. More than six. <laughs> Since that was last year's prediction, not by us. No. Uh, I hope. We will have deeper discussions on platform-specific features versus focusing so much on news headlines. No, we've done that today. Yeah. We're on a track. There's my bell. <laughs> I don't have a bell. Um, actually, my third point was that, was more developer architecture-centric discussions versus news-related stuff. I think what I meant by deeper discussions on platform-specific features was we could carve out, say, functions and actually do a deep dive on it, but that requires quite a bit more work to produce. Uh, on Salesforce side, my hope is that uh, we'll get better performance improvements. So faster load timing, uh, better testing and debugging, debugging tools, um, and better tooling for flows. It needs it. Yeah. It's, it's way too bare bones right now. Mm. Uh, I hope we get uh, a refocusing on technology and innovation on the platform. I think they've gone heavy on the acquisition growth. And not enough on innovation. You know, they they started out as innovation with the platform and the type of customizations you can do. And then they just started growing based on acquisition. Yeah. The platform has, to a certain extent, hasn't really innovated. It's kind of just been catching up to what most of us kind of expect out of a platform. Mm. My take. It's yeah. It's I, my take on that. Is it's a mixed strategy. I mean, you can try to innovate internally. Sometimes it's hard, and you, it's it's you don't oftentimes have control of what's going to catch fire. You know, think of like chatter versus Slack. They're not it, innovating. It, they're they're throwing stuff at the wall to meet a buzzword. You know, IoT is a big thing, so let's throw th- thunder at it. Uh, Crypto's a thing, so let's do you know that's just whatever. Brand, that's just brand. NFTs are a thing. Let's do so. Let's do an yeah. NFT cloud. Right. 
they're not innovating. They're just catching up. And that's, that's my argument is that I hope. Well, we're in enterprise software, John. Does enter. Well, they're not typical enterprise. They're stakeholder enterprise. So stakeholders need innovation. No, that's true. Let's be the enterprise company that innovates, not that does what everyone else did. Okay. (laughs) You're looking at me really stone faced. I mean, I just, I, I have to just push back a little bit. I think Salesforce has innovated on some things. I'd, I'd love to hear those. I mean, flow. Flow innovation. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm sorry, but it is. There are so many low-code platforms that had very similar me- similar mechanisms. Name one. They don't exist anymore because no one buys those platforms. Ding, ding, ding. Where's my bell? The only reason Where's my bell? The only reason it exists and, and coexists with Salesforce is because Salesforce is what it is. Mm, now, Salesforce is, Salesforce is willing to walk away and can things that don't work. No, that's not what I mean. A standalone platform that has local tooling is, is, a, is a hard sell. But saying that your CRM product can do low code is a different story than selling a platform that, that entirely exists well, as low code and open ended. It's a platform. Come on now. No, it is, but it's not like access database. Like these yeah. other tools I'm talking about were basically web based access databases. Yeah. Okay. Is, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that Salesforce has a renewed focus on community and partners, although based on this month, I don't think that's happening, but I'd like to see that. Um, they've kind of, in my opinion, have kind of not treated the community very well as of as of lately. Hmm. Okay. Thank you for what it's worth. Yeah. Uh, clearer messaging around company goals and product roadmaps. It's very it, historically. It's been is this very, your predictions, or this is this my is like hopes. John's These are my list. hopes. Okay. Like I your said, hopes. I was trying not to be neg. Okay. I want I, I want to hope for things, and I want to hope that that they focus more on goals and product maps. That they kind of have roadmaps, you know, if, if they're going to talk about DevOps, let's talk about what the DevOps roadmap is in a very clear and marketable way. Marketable. You That's know. the last thing I want's marketable. That's my problem. Well, they're a marketing company, so. I know. <laughs> uh, as far as the tech industry, um, I hope business strategies will continue to be more frugal and profit-based versus market share and growth-based. Mm. Well, uh, that's that's their goal, actually. So that's, their, that's their stated goal now is, yeah. is, yeah, definitely profitability. So we'll see. Uh, my next one is Twitter isn't going anywhere that 2023 will be a year of stabilization and planning for 2024. A lot of predictions of the death of Twitter, John. I know. <laughs> cause that, cause that space guy runs it now. I know the space guy we're, we used to love cause he had electric cars and now we supposed to hate cause he has Twitter, man. I saw a video. Of the, I don't know if this is new or not. It just kind of showed up. I think in my YouTube feed, but two of those, Falcon rockets both simultaneously coming back and landing on their pads about a thousand feet apart from each other. Mm-hmm. That's that just that is still. I don't care. You know, you, I don't know. Any, I don't know much about any of the space technology, or I'm not a physics guy. Um, I've never been. I'm not. I'm just not huge in any, any of that stuff. But just watching that is just. It's like it, it looks like it's fake. It looks like a movie. It's like this is just fake. Like they this refer- is amazing. Like they played the, like this- the launch backwards. Yeah. I mean, this just, and it's like, wow, this actually <laughs> happened. It's amazing. It is amazing. Anyway. Uh, this one's not a hope, <laughs> but it is, it is a statement. We'll just say that uh, layoffs will continue and priority will be made for employees to be in office. Um, my next statement is, I think it's 
it's the end of the Instagram work lifestyle envy posts. Yeah, that seems fair. Um, my next prediction is acquisitions of small, smaller companies for talent specifically will be more prevalent than big buys for market share. Yeah, yeah. I think the big buys are, are gone for now. Uh, and then I just had a small spot for my for my personal goals. I had I broke it up into two sections of will do and of what I would like to do but likely won't do. Uh, my will do's are I would I can't say I would like. I will. You will. You just committed. You're committed. I will now. get prof- gain proficiency in Kotlin. I did have a different. Ooh. What are you, now? What are you doing with Kotlin, John? What do you want to do with I Kotlin? Just, I really enjoy the language. I'm tired of being stagnant on Apex. I'm traditionally a .NET developer, but I haven't touched .NET in years. I don't feel yeah. comfortable calling myself well, a .NET and now developer. That, now that Function support, I mean, Function supports Java, and, and don't get me wrong, I love Kotlin. Um, I think Kotlin got a, a lot of stuff critically correct out of mm-hmm. the gate. It, even, even with its shackles to the Java, plat, to the Java platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but Java itself, because I work a lot in Java. Like, that's where I spend, uh, 90% of my coding is in Java. Yeah. The other ten percent are co- it's probably Kotlin. Actually, it's more split than that. It's probably sixty percent Java, forty percent Kotlin. Right. Um, Java has gotten so much better to work with. Uh, it's it's just so much more. I mean, it still has it still has some old warts that's never going to get rid of. But they've really innovated Java a ton, and it's so much more pleasant to work in now. So I get. I don't get me wrong. I love the Kotlin thing, <laughs> but. Since functions supports Java, at least you could do some nice Java work. And Java is a much better language. It really, I mean, Java stagnated for a while. And it's in the past, I don't know, four or five years, it's really taken off. They're doing these every six month release. Actually, yeah, releases. And they have this old, you know, LTS program, but really nice. Yeah. Such a better language. I think the only reason I'm gravitating towards Kotlin is that it's the kind of the new shiny. And I've, in, in just kind of playing around with it, I'm really excited about it, and I, I have a lot of fun playing with it. Well, Kotlin also, I don't ever do any of this stuff, but it compiles down to other, transpiles to JavaScript uh, as one of the, as one of the yeah. targets. Um, I don't do any of that stuff, but, and Kotlin's also like the programming language for Android now as well. Has been yeah, for, and there's, there's some new stuff coming around with containerization, and there's some new libraries that are coming GA for a lot of the web kind of based stuff. Um, so I'm, it just it just seems like a, a a pretty good platform. I hope it takes off, but it's just something that I wanted to try gain proficient to gain proficiency in. Yeah. Uh, my next one, which isn't happening, I probably should move that to the will do, but likely won't. And that's to maintain a more active weekly routine. I'm not talking about going to the gym or anything like that, which I would like to do. But I just I've been very sedentary these last few years. I've been sitting at my desk working get up to kind of do the family stuff and the kids stuff. I haven't ridden my bike in a good year or two, man. That's crazy. I mean, I have, but yeah. not like consistently. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, th- those are things that I used to enjoy doing that I just don't do anymore. And I'd like to get mm. back into that. Yep. That's a good one. Um, another one is I'd like to invest more into my hobbies. Um, I used to think I didn't have any, co- any hobbies, but I, I really gravitate towards music creation and I really want to get back into music creation. So I'm, mm. I'm geared up for that. I have to bring your one your CDs up here and play it on, on oh, the no, air. I'm embarrassed by those. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've got a new MIDI for Christmas, so that was pretty cool. So mm. that'll help. Yeah, nice. So I'll get back into it. That's a good one. I mean, that's I think you're that's one you've got some talent for, and and you really have always enjoyed doing. So I do. That's good. I think the montages are kind of like my way into, even yeah. though it's just kind of sticking audio on top of existing music. Um, 
it kind of feeds into some of my music creation stuff. So. Yeah. It scratches that itch a little bit. Uh, so the, the, uh, what I would like to do, but likely won't is attend any conferences. I was hopeful I'd get to attend some conferences this year, but my life is just way too crazy. I'm just not going to be able to do it this year. So I'm gonna have to accept that. Um, yeah, cause you pretty much opted out of, um, TDX, right? TDX. Yeah. 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 I offered. I know. I know. I just, the but timing, get, the timing on TDX is bad. Cause that's my son's birthday. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to miss that. Yeah. Um, as far as other conferences, if they're local, I might go, but honestly, with some of the house issues I'm having right now and just finding out today that homeowners isn't going to cover it. I'm well, probably going to be out of pocket for quite a bit. It's like, cause it's a slow leak. We don't even think it's a leak now. Mm. It, it's either foundation or something else. So that's the next phase of my ordeal. Anyways, mm. um, the next one is I th- was really hoping to revive my blog and start to write some more instructional posts, but I really don't think that's going to happen. I even thought I might. I think, trans- you, I think you should bump that up on the list. Well, here's what I'm thinking of doing. I'm not going to write developer instructional how-to posts, but I'm thinking about writing other technology-related posts. Um, the reason I don't want to do how-tos is because one of the things that I hated on my blog when I would do a how-to is people were just copying and pasting code. Um, what I think I might do is split, maybe split the post and say – here's my code. And then here's the, here's another post with my, my code with, uh, my, uh, how, with my description or my writing about that technology yeah. or what, how it made yeah. sense. Yeah. Cause that was the biggest disappointment is people weren't reading my blog because they wanted to learn. They read, they to copy your code. They went, they went to my, to copy my code, yeah, your code. Yeah. And that was really kind of disappointing. And that kind of, that got to me to the point where I'd stopped writing so much. No, I I feel like Substack's the new hotness, but um, I don't know. I feel like uh, we can't ever forget. Oh, it's on Medium. <laughs> it's on Medium, John. Uh, no, I'm still hosting you know my that. own blog on on Ghost. I still like that, and I still like. Do you care to share your uh, your URL? Uh, well, it's got really old posts, but it's iterativelogic.com. Yeah. yeah. When when let's see, when's the last post from that? I think it was a squid thing too. Really. Yeah. It might have been a squid thing when I was really into doing a lot of squid at the time. May 9th? Can you guess what year? It's May 9th. Uh, 19? 2015. Oh, 15. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, because we man. started doing more podcast. I think it's when the Maybe podcast so. kicked in. Yeah, so you had some good posts, man. I, I spent time on those posts and I, I put I a know. lot of effort into them. My first, my, my first posts were just kind of, here's, here's the general gist. And the code that I put on there as examples never was never meant to compile. And the first comments I got were, it doesn't compile. Yeah, I'm like, you, it wasn't meant to. It's pseudocode. You can't get away with that nowadays. Yeah, people. So, yeah. so I started writing real code. And then I just found that people were just copying the code and pasting no, it's it. No, it's all these people that have either one between one and ten reputational stack. Everywhere. Like, Your code doesn't compile. <laughs> <laughs> but That's I always do, what it is. I do want to contribute to the community because what I see now when I do a Google, when I do a Google on some issue I'm having – what I'm seeing is a bunch of people regurgitating the the Salesforce developer site. Yeah. They'll have word for word exact and they'll you, have like ads posted everywhere and they have word for word and they're like top search. I'm this, like, what the hell? It's just manual GPT or chat is, GPT. This is stupid. <laughs> well, don't worry. Chat GPT is going to put all of them out of business, John. That's fine. Because they can produce all the word salad garbage you want. <laughs> Anyways, I tried to be entertaining. I tried to be somewhat readable. 
Um, I'd like to get back to that, but right now it's in my likely won't do bucket. Yeah. We'll see. I think music is more important. Yeah. It's good for the soul. Yeah. I think I need that. Well, John, thanks for sharing that. That was good. I, yeah, I don't know if I have any predictions. I'm not in that frame of mind. Yeah. I get it. Anyway, I hesitate to offer stickers because we're so backed up, but we have lots of good day store stickers. If you'd like one for your laptop or your local watering hole or Actually, whatever. No, it's better to get in now. Cause you'll get handwritten. You, that's true. You will. This is, you know, artisanally handwritten, <laughs> uh, small batch. Um, yeah. A little bit larger batch than probably what I'd want, but still small batch labels, handwritten by either John or I or both. But you can you can get on the queue. Info at gooddayserpodcast.com. Just make sure you include your shipping address. That's the most forgotten item. Mm-hmm. It's hard to ship them if you don't provide a physical address we can ship to. Or a P.O. box, I guess, would work. That's, is that a physical address? I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know what's considered physical. It's physical? Okay. Um... But yeah, there we are again. John kicking off another year. I appreciate you doing this with me, and I appreciate this community uh, still still uh, listening along and and doing our thing in the Slack channel. So uh, also, dear listener, if you're not in our Slack group, probably should join. It's at uh, com, and you just click on community. Mm-hmm. You can fill out John's. Uh, it's a, it only has about 50 fields you have to fill out on the form, and you're good, you know, it goes through an approval process, and once your payment is submitted and verified, then then we will let you in. I'm just kidding. I think it's just email address, right? Mm-hmm. What else, John? That's it. That's it. All right. Well, it's been fun. We should do it again um, in next quarter. Yeah, we should. <laughs> to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.